You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me is my absolute arch rival this week, Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 That's right, Kane. It is the Matty Robbins Cup this week. Uh, Bulldogs and the Cats coming up Friday night, I believe. Uh, so we'll be uh, just taking adversarial positions all week up until that game, until uh, until you know one team wins, and then we don't talk about it for two days and come back on the Monday. <laughs> I think we're lucky it's on a Friday night. But yeah. I did text you yesterday <laughs> after the Geelong game, and I just said, thank goodness the Adelaide game is over. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that team again that hasn't won a game. We'll probably talk about the Cats a little bit later in the week and then you mentioned well the big ones this week and I said that's fine but if you lose to the Bulldogs it's at least semi-acceptable if you lose to Adelaide it's not acceptable at all so I'm glad that that game uh, is in the books but as far as footy on the weekend we spent a little bit of time talking about the Tigers last week and they just can't stay out of the news whether it's Tom Lynch going to the tribunal for uh, let's be honest uh, I, I don't even want to call it a strike I don't want to call it a punch I want to call it a little shove to the beard of Michael Hurley, there wasn't a lot in it, but uh, the acc- accumulation of fines means that he's going to the tribunal and then Grimes and Vlosten done for staging, which, you know, those two incidents were actually pretty unfortunate because in a game where Eston really were getting absolutely dominated with the inside 50 count, they were just sort of hanging around and those two 50s uh, provided a, a really costly moments proved to be really costly moments for the Bombers as they were trying to hang in there. So certainly noteworthy. But the Tigers, what, what's going on? I don't know. It, it, it is weird. And individually, each sort of Tom Lynch incident is like, oh, yeah, it's not major. You're not causing injury. You're pushing someone's head into the ground. You're, you're ruffling someone's beard with your fist slash open hand. You're punching someone <laughs> in the guts slash uh, pubis zone. Like whatever you're doing, like it's not much, but... The thing that the AFL said is that like you're not showing a, a change in the pattern of this behavior. And the fines clearly aren't doing anything, which we talked about. They're not doing anything for someone like Tom Lynch. Right. So I, I think I think he's I think he's gone. I think he's going for a week here because of a pattern of no change in behavior or a, a, la- a lack of change in what he's been doing because it's just consistent and it's been a lot of things happening with Richmond doing this stuff all year, but this is just it's, it's every week it feels like yeah, it's interesting. Again, on the weekend, I think we saw the the automatic comparison to Tom Hawkins, and I, I think it makes some sense. The only thing that you would suggest that, that maybe it's time for Lynch to just say, okay, well, if you're just going to keep doing this and, and force us to find you every single week, then maybe just have a week off because it is happening week yeah, consecutive weeks. And that's not something that ever really happened with, with Hawkins. It wasn't week after week after week that he was in the news. It was certainly a couple of times per season. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, overall, I think if he gets suspended for that, I wouldn't feel too comfortable with it on the individual act. But maybe the AFL's finally just going to say, listen, I mean, this is every single week. And I will say, Hurley, I don't know what he was trying to do at that time, if they were just trying to break grip, if he was trying to hit his hand or something like that. I'm not too sure. I mean, there's no doubt if you were a defender right now and you were playing on Tom Lynch, uh, you would understand that you could probably get him to do something pretty silly right now. So there's no doubt that Lynch has probably seen some uh, extra attention, let's just say, 
for that reason. The fact that you can sort of get him uh, out of his out of his game a little bit, and and Lynch wasn't great. So the other thing is, it's not like he's been dominating games the last few weeks either. So I, I think there's definitely frustration building up. Yeah, there, there is for sure. And again, we we talked about the the point system and how it doesn't seem to take you know previous instances or yeah. carryover points into consideration. But that's why this one has been taken straight to the tri- tribunal, so they can use that sort of. Um, you know, past record in uh, in part of their determination of this issue, and I'd be pretty stunned if he doesn't get a week here. What did you What did you make of the the staging stuff? Obviously, the response to the Richmond players on social media is heinous and should never <laughs> should never happen. But this is the second time I believe that Grimes has been done for it. Yeah, I reckon uh, once you start to get two or three times, because you know staging, it's <laughs> you don't want it in the game. Uh, he clearly got reward for it, and I think that that's where it's it's difficult for the players and the umpires because I don't necessarily blame the umpires. I see a lot of people saying that, but in that moment, if you watch that in full speed, which I did at the time I was watching the game, and I thought with how fast the ball moved down there, the fact that it was in the air and the umpire has to look at so many different things, I, d- I did think that he was pushed. Like that, My first reaction was that, oh, yeah, that's probably a free kick. And you very quickly realize on replay that it was not, and it should not have been, and it cost Essendon a goal. So I think it's just so tough for the umpires and the players are getting a reward for it as well. So it's such a, st- a tough thing to balance right now. But I think that certainly the first and second time, you know, probably a fine, or maybe we just say the first time you get a fine, you do it again, you're getting a suspension. Because I, I don't know how else you stamp it out of the game. Because... Uh, like I sort of said, in the heat of the moment, in the speed of play, it's going to be very, very difficult for the umpires to determine in their head whether a guy's staging or not. And if they don't pay the free kick, then obviously it's a big penalty as well. So I'm not sure what the answer is outside of maybe saying, if you're a repeat offender, you can have a week off and this is going to be really embarrassing for you. Yeah, I think that's it. Outside of you know, your pride and embarrassment, if they get a fine and it results in them winning a game, I don't think many people mm-hmm. you know, would be too worried about it. Now, there is, of course, the pride of being you know, considered soft and faking for free kicks, which is something that is not a part of our game in general. It's not, yeah, there are pl- people who have done it plenty of times over the years. There's been lots of guys who do that sort of thing, but it's not a general part of our game. It's not an accepted thing that everyone just goes and does. Um, so yeah, look, most of the time the players will, will take a fine if it results in them getting the ball in a situation like that, where, you know, they were giving up a goal the other way, they'll, they'll, they'll cop that fine. So maybe it does need to move to something else, but it is so hard. You're right to, uh, adjudicate it in the moment because of the speed of the game. And we talk about it all the time to try and see everything that's happening and you're trying to judge off action and intent, but response is also a big part of it. And it, you can't rely upon everybody to be honest all the time. And it is a really tough thing to do. And maybe this goes back to the thing that I mentioned a few weeks ago, Kane, when talking about the deliberate out of bounds. Just have a bloke up there watching on the TV that can just maybe just whisper in the umpire's ear and go, no, nah, that was bullshit, mate. No, nah, it wasn't. Let's, uh, let's ball it up. Or just something where they can, they've got a better view at it from a, a top-down view or a more of a wide-angle view. And they can just not make the decisions via video, but they can uh, at least just throw a little comment in there to the umpire. Yeah, look, it's gaining steam. It's gaining steam, Kane. Yeah, the Lloyd system. I, I just, you know, you, you know, I mean, we all know when we're watching, once a player gets out of position and they, they know they're about to lose the contest, their last resort is to try and get a free kick. And that's not going to change. So I don't know. It'll be something to watch. I don't think it's it's crazy right now with people diving. I think there's the obvious ones that just look ridiculous. And maybe, maybe the really, really obvious ones, even off the ball where someone 
sort of just shove someone and they go fly into the ground. Maybe give them a fine. I don't know. Maybe try and get rid of those. Uh, I'm not too sure, but it's going to be a difficult thing to completely stamp out. Uh, as far as the other news over the weekend, and we'll continue to, to run through this as the week goes on, but Buddy Franklin ruled out for the season. Uh, we know he's been having some significant hamstring problems over the last probably 18 months, but now just a little bit of groin soreness has come up. Obviously, Buddy is a player that they're going to want to be fully healthy going into next season, and it's kind of strange because you know we're seeing this with sports right around the world. It's almost like you're at the point where if you're not going to be playing off in the finals, which we know the Swans aren't, then you really need to start preparing even more so for next season because uh, it's already August, near the end of August. So that preseason, that always feels like it's so long. And if you have a guy that maybe misses before Christmas, it's like, ah, it's not a big deal. It will be fine. But Christmas isn't that far away. And so you need to, you can't afford for a guy like Buddy Franklin to have another two, three month setback if he injures that groin further or, uh, you know, something happens to the hamstring. So I think this is a smart play. Yeah, we said this early on in the year that yeah, we didn't necessarily think that Buddy would be back this year. Like, there's maybe maybe the point quite isn't there, and they're coming back, and that's great, and we compete for wins. But then, if he hurts himself again, what what happens there? And I think this is absolutely the right move for Sydney and for Buddy, and get more games and more important minutes into the players who are there at the moment, filling those roles, which will only do well to uh, to benefit them in the future. I think it's a it's a pretty common sense decision. Um, under pressure, Kane. Who have you got uh, under some pressure this week? The Brisbane Lions. And yes. I, I think I think we'll talk about the Saints a little bit. It was a pretty enthralling game. I, I was really into it, this Brisbane-St. Kilda game. We flagged it as probably the game of the weekend. But the Brisbane Lions have got to figure out how to kick the footy through the goal. Because it's, it's, it, it's unbelievable at the moment. Yeah, it's it's gone right through the whole team. And this isn't... You know, you can look at this and say, oh, a team had an off week kicking goal it happens from time to time but the concern for Brisbane is that uh, this happened in last year's final against Richmond it cost them a, a potentially a spot in a grand final and now uh, they're doing it again and they've done it all season long they're they're 10 and 3 on the season but they're two losses if you go back and look at the kicking in the, in those games against Geelong so the two losses since the season restart this is Geelong they, they went down by 27 points but they kicked six goals 10 on the day and then the Richmond game, they kicked four goals, 17. In the last two weeks, they beat North Melbourne by one point and and St. Kilda by two. So, listen, this could have gone the other way. And the only reason those teams were in the game was because of Brisbane's kicking. Brisbane had 18 scoring shots to North Melbourne's 12, and they won by one point. And then yesterday, they had 20 scoring shots to 13, and they won by two. If you look at the ladder, and we keep talking about it, Brisbane's sitting pretty right now on four, with 40 points, equal top of the ladder, only in second on percentage to Port Adelaide. But uh, those two losses very, very easily could have gone the other way. Both North Melbourne and St Kilda had their chances. Brisbane would have been basically really, really struggling to make the top four in that instance on 32 points. They would have been down sixth in the ladder. Uh, this is something they simply have to figure out. And one player in particular, we keep talking how is Charlie Cameron going to impact finals when the whole uh, the whole uh, opposition analysis is based around stopping him from finding the footy? Eric Hipwood's going to have to stand up. McStay's going to have to stand up. Hipwood can't kick right now. He, and, and he doesn't look like he's confident. He, his shots on goal aren't even getting close. This is a huge problem for them. Yeah, it is. They, they've got the bye coming up this week. 
So there's obviously, I think it's coming at a really good time for them. Um, just given the the way they have been, I guess, struggling. They're getting the wins, which is what you want to do as a top team. But they've still been struggling to get them over in North Melbourne, who's not, not a great team. St. Kilda, of course, a, a significantly better squad. Um, but I, I don't know how you get this goal kicking turned around. Like it's it's not a minor problem; it's a massive problem because these are not you're not you're not going seven seven. You're not you know ten and ten goals eleven. Like you're talking about you know going at thirty percent, and it's it, it, it's gonna it's gonna come undone in the finals. There's, there's no doubt about that. If you kick that badly, you are not going to win uh, more than one final. I wouldn't have thought. Well, the great man Swamp on Twitter at Sir Swamp Thing came up with this was just a ripper stat. So there's been three there's been three teams in VFL AFL history that have won back to back games despite kicking fewer goals than their opponent in both matches. This was Melbourne in round twelve and round thirteen, nineteen thirty four, South Melbourne in round fifteen and sixteen, nineteen thirty six, and Brisbane round round twelve, thirteen, two thousand and twenty. So this is the first time this has happened since nineteen thirty six and the third time in history. So. You have to say they've got uh, they got a little bit fortunate these last two weeks. Despite again, I don't think there's any problem with the obviously the back line is holding up really well through the midfield. They're winning the footy. It's just finishing off uh, those plays. But you got to say, you know, the deeper this goes into the finals, the the pressure's just going to get greater. It, it's not going to go away. So uh, for Brisbane, they've got some bad memories in the past of goal kicking. It's cost them against two really good teams who they may well meet in the finals this year. So. Something to watch, but uh, if you're a Brisbane fan, you'd be feeling very, very anxious about this. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, again, which I've, I've talked about before, that when you start missing, then it gets in everyone else's head. Like, I've got to kick this yeah. one because yeah, we've missed so many and we've squandered all these chances and the other team's going to go down there and just kick three quick ones and we're going to be in trouble. And that's not only going to happen in-game, but it's going to happen week to week. And that, that that's why I, it's so hard to turn it around in-season. Because you just have that memory of last week or the week before, and you go and you miss your first goal, and you go, "Oh God!" And then it just and it just goes from there. Whereas if you were a solid enough goal kicking team, if you miss one shot, you wouldn't give a shit about it. You go back, kick the next one, you're all good. But there's so much pressure that's built up here over 13 rounds that it's uh, I'm not I'm not sure it's fixable for this season in, in, in the future, and it can vary. But it's it's a it's a real problem. Now, what I didn't uh, what I didn't like, or what I think is definitely going to come under some sort of scrutiny this week. Melbourne, we talked about them with some big wins, and I said, well, let's, you know, win against Collingwood is good, but when you Collingwood were on the way down and they were ripe for the picking, and yeah, people were talking Melbourne up. You know, Melbourne's midfield, is it the best midfield in the game? Is it better than the Bulldogs' midfield? And you know, and I talked about their, their skills of their midfielders and their kicking decision-making had been poor all year, and it had turned around in some of these wins. But they got annihilated in the third quarter on the weekend, and so much of it was just from horrible either decision-making coming out of half-back and through the middle or execution of those kicks. The amount of times they just kicked it straight to a Bulldogs player who was 75 meters out from goal in the center square was unbelievable. And no, no one was without blame. Yeah, Petrarca did it. Langdon did it. I saw Oliver do a couple. It was so many of them that made those basic errors coming out of defense and through the midfield and just turning the ball over or even going to half forward and turning it over in the back of the center square, that that's that same problem when they were losing all those games at the start of the year is just no ability to hit targets or make the right reads uh, with, when you're kicking, kicking the ball. Yeah, this was pretty disappointing. I actually thought, and first of all, this game, just watching it, 
on TV. I don't remember a game that's been affected more by the wind oh, than this one. Wild. It was, yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, we sort of most of the time these teams are playing in sort of sheltered stadiums where this isn't the case. But this was kind of crazy to see. It did feel like the turnovers were a huge issue, I, particularly in that third quarter. The Bulldogs seemed to just control the conditions a, a little bit better. It was interesting to me to look at the disposal efficiency because the demons are up at seventy percent, which which isn't horrific. I mean, that's not a that's not a really really bad number. I, I actually thought it was the pressure that was go- that was only coming from one side, and, and I thought the doggies just wanted it a little bit more. I, I thought that it was too easy for the Western Bulldogs to walk the the ball down the field, and the demons were slow to set up, slow to react, slow to put pressure on the opposition. It's it's. Yeah, it was a typical game. If you look at the disposal count, the doggies were plus forty-three on the day, and that's that's not really strange. I mean, we see that a fair bit with the Bulldogs. We know they like to possess possess the ball. Inside fifties were equal at forty-four percent. So overall, it felt like it should have been a closer game. And as far as out of the middle, the the Demons did uh, no surprise won the hitouts, but they did win the clearances uh, both out of the center and the stoppage. So I, I thought that they gave themselves a chance to win again. Yeah, you know, I, I just—it was really disappointing effort from them. I thought, and this is a, a team that has been up and down all season. And this is exactly why last week when we spoke about Melbourne, I said I'm not buying them yet until they they do this for consecutive weeks on end. And at halftime, they were looking fine. But to to produce that effort in the third quarter, if you're a Melbourne fan, you you'd be pissed. You you'd be pissed off watching this team play footy at the moment. There's no doubt about that, uh, because now they're back outside the eight again. Obviously, they're going to have that game against Essendon. To, to make up, but they're not the only team that's a game behind anymore. It's not it's not this thing that's sticking out that like it was for most of the season. There's a bunch of teams that have had a bias, and Melbourne, they've got to figure it out, and they got the Saints this week, and again, I've got no faith that they will. Yeah, they were, it was just back to the bad old times for Melbourne, but we need to look at what we actually liked from this weekend, Kane. Ah, well, I like the steal. The steal at the trade table. Jack Steele going to the Saints a couple of years ago now, it's interesting. He he did request that trade. He wanted to uh, leave the Giants, but he was a pretty good player back then. Played two seasons with GWS, and his second season he averaged 20 disposals a game or just under 19.3. So he's a guy that's always been a ball winner. There's no doubt about that. But he's been elite this year for the Saints, and he wins the footy. He's top 10 in the AFL in disposals. Uh, he's, he's also top 10 in the AFL for score involvements. And he's number one in the AFL for pressure acts. So this guy does it all. He's been huge for the Saints this season. And I think he's gone under the radar a little bit. We speak a lot about what Nathan Jones has brought. And again, I thought he was huge for them yesterday, just breaking the lines. And I think that that's something they missed, certainly in the, in that loss they had a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, Jack Steele, he also plays on Crips. He plays on Bont. He, he takes the big, the big jobs, but then wins the footy himself. And he's a beautiful kick. He kicks goals as well. He's kicked eight goals on the year. GWS ended up getting, it was pick 24, they ended up using pick 27 with that pick that they got and taking Brett Daniels, who's been a guy that's been consistent for them and he's played, but he's not Jack Steele. The Saints absolutely won this uh, trade, there's no doubt about that, and this guy's looking like he's going to be a star for a long time. Yeah, he's been really, really strong um, for this team, and there's been plenty of games. Other guys have, have stepped up, but I think in general, he's been one of their most consistent midfielders this year, and... Yeah, just it's it's always about you know trying to find this. We talked about St Kilda getting Dan Butler in a similar way, like finding the guys who are these good players who are maybe sitting on the outskirts of their current team and trying to see what you can get out of them. And yeah, two beauties here with Butler and Steele for St Kilda. 
And he's been lucky. He's developed into that you know, two-way midfielder, which is such a rarity where you can throw him into multiple roles and they seem like they're going to have success every time. Yeah, I really love that he, he does do a little bit of both as well. I mean, obviously the defensive stuff, but uh, he wins the ball, obviously, in contested footy. He doesn't mind getting it on the outside as well. Yesterday, 25 disposals, 15 of those were handballs, but 10 tackles and four clearances, uh, a couple of goal assists as well. The Saints have really, you know, it was disappointing for them <clears throat> that they lost this game, and no doubt they're in a, a difficult position now trying to get back into the top four, uh, four points out, and their percentage is sort of middle of the pack there with the other teams in the eight. But they've just done a really good job recruiting, I think. I mean, they've set themselves up for the future. We mentioned a bunch of those guys. Rowan Marshall's only in his early to mid-20s as well. He was another mature age recruit that they got. So there is some older guys, like Canterbury and Paddy Ryder, that – are they going to be there when the Saints, hopefully, in the next couple of years, are really pressing for a flag? I'm not sure. Probably not. If they can't do it this year, things are going to get difficult for those guys, just based on, certainly, Hanabry's injury history. But they've recruited really well. Howard, down back as well. The Saints have put themselves in a really good position, I reckon. Yeah, they, they have. And I think yeah, that, that sort of smart... Um, recruiting is such a, a big way of getting getting that success that you need. Now, what I want to talk about is something we touched on last week in terms of what we liked, and that is Mitch Wallace. Because we you talked about him, you brought him up as a name, maybe he's an all-Australian forward. And I said, yeah, look, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think that's accurate. But if you saw him on the weekend, we've talked about him so much, he plays like a, a small-bodied key forward who creates the space and takes contested grabs. He kicked another four this weekend, but it's more not just what he did this week, because he was a... A prolific inside midfielder who, in a second season, he averaged 22 touches a game, never went forward and kicked goals, and then was pushed into a role where he was one of the premier taggers in the competition, then suffered some horrendous injuries, sort of struggled to get back into the team or find his exact role on the squad. But even last year for the Bulldogs, he averaged 22 touches a game, playing mainly midfield. This year, he's averaging under 10 disposals a game. But he's kicking, he's leading the Bulldogs goal kicking. He is 20th in the AFL in total score involvements over the entire season. And he's moved from an inside ball winning midfielder to a tagger to a midfielder back again through multiple injuries. And now into a key mid-sized forward who takes grabs, kicks goals on lead, is a key forward target, but also sets up goals and can kick crumbing goals. He's doing bits of everything throughout his career. And I think it's worth acknowledging that just the the changes in what he's been able to do throughout his career. And again, he was massive for the Dogs. He, not only did he kick the four, but he set up numerous goals. And he's just to be 20th in score involvements in the entire league is a thing that I don't think many people would have expected. Yeah, he's under the radar. And he has certainly had to carry the brunt of the four line with Norton missing a, a fair part of the season. Interesting, Fox was starting to pump him up for All-Australia a little bit on the weekend. They also were floating the question of Luke Ryan as All-Australian. So I don't know. I don't know if these guys are tuning into the pod. Maybe they're listening and stealing our ideas. I reckon we were ahead of the curve with both of those. But yeah, Wallace has been fantastic. And I, I think towards the back end of the season, he'll start to get a little bit more respect, particularly you know with a game like this week against the Cats. If he delivers again on Friday night, I, I think there's no doubt uh, that, that All-Australian, you know, he'll be in the mix anyway. He's certainly a guy that you think if you were looking at uh, nominations from the Bulldogs for that for the 40-man squad, Wallace is probably in there. The question would be, does he get in ahead of a guy like Papley or Butler, as we, we sort of spoke about? But certainly, if the Bulldogs keep winning games, that's why I mentioned these last five weeks, I think for those guys, is going to be huge. Wallace looks like he's, he's moving into even better form, and Butler's maybe going back uh, the other way uh, a little bit here. As far as tonight's game, Collingwood-North Melbourne... 
listen, this is, uh, I, I don't know how else to explain this other than must win for the Pies. They, they just have to get a win. Uh, they lost, obviously, last week to Melbourne pretty badly. A couple of weeks before that, they were pretty, well, not pretty scratchy, very scratchy against Adelaide and Sydney, and then they lost the two previous before that. So they haven't put in a good performance for a long time here, a month and a half. So the Pies have got to stand up. If they lose, they're going to be just barely hanging in the eight by uh, two points. Their percentage is not good. So they've just got to find a way to beat North Melbourne. And we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, whether it was Adelaide yesterday with Geelong, North Melbourne last week with Brisbane, these lower-end teams aren't necessarily giving games up, and they're going to have a crack. If I look at the teams, really, really interesting. The Pies get Jordan Ruffhead back. Obviously, that's a big in for those those guys. But they bring in Mason Cox. And I've been pretty harsh on Mason you, you Cox have. this year. I just don't think he, you know, unless he's taking contested marks, I just don't think he brings anything to the forward line at all. He's not going to bring any defensive pressure. I'm not sure he really has a, a good feel for the game. But I, I kind of like it from Collingwood that have said, you know what, screw it. We're going to play Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox. We can't kick a score. We have no one to kick to. Let's have two targets up there because Darcy Cameron's been up the ground a little bit. So I don't mind having a deep target in Mason Cox. At least, you know, bring it to ground. Give them a chance. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the I don't know what the. <laughs> well, point. they have to try, you know. They do have to try with the Amaya going out as well, uh, and Ben Reed, uh, both both injured this week. Uh, yeah, getting a, another big man up there. I would have just liked them to to try and run Cameron with a whole bunch yeah. of smalls, and not that you can call you know, Hoskin Elliott and Jamie Elliott. They're smalls, but they're not because they're they're decent marking targets. So I would have liked just to see Cameron Cameron run through with those guys. I just think Cox, yeah, just clogs things up a lot. But, hey, if you're going to get him back into form, uh, maybe North Melbourne is the team to try it against. But they're playing a little bit better of late. Um, you know, close one last week against Brisbane. I don't know. It's it's is this, this could be Cox's last real chance. Like, if he doesn't do anything here, I'm not sure where they go from, uh, from there with the Cox experiment. I think it's always a concern for teams that... And, and you know, I don't know whether you put Collingwood in the, the premiership contention anymore. I mean... They got a bunch of guys that maybe could come back. How, you know, are you gonna are you gonna back Hell in to come in first week of finals and be at his best? That Degoe might be thereabouts, so they're gonna get some names back. And I think, you know, they would make teams nervous coming up against them. But based on what we've seen all season long, are, are they going to be able to contend for a premiership? Probably not this year. You would have to, if you had to put money on it, you wouldn't be confident. But uh, I think it's always a concern when those types of teams are still trying to figure it out this late in the season, and it does feel like that's the case for the Pies. They're still trying to work through what's the mix, and they're just trying to find this goal to get themselves rolling a little bit. Uh, that's why I think maybe it is worth a shot. Darcy Cameron's been a really good contested mark player since he's come into the team. I like him, but most of those have come up around the wing. So I, I thought that they either had to play him genuine full forward and, and move him back into the 50 and get those contested marks inside 50, or they had to try another target. I guess they've gone option B here. Uh, we'll see. Like I said, if Cox brings the ball to ground, they've got enough talent around there that they can kick a score, but we'll see. I mean, as, as we've mentioned, the Pies have only kicked more than 10 goals twice, I believe, in the season. So this is a good opportunity for them to just, just try and kick a score. They've got to find a way. They do. This is a must-win for them as well uh, to keep themselves in that mix with the Bulldogs winning over the weekend in GWS, which we'll talk about later in the week, looking a little bit more competitive because they've got the easy run home coming up here. Kane, that'll do it, I reckon, for us today on Locked on AFL. Thank you again as uh, we look forward to us you know, locking horns at the end of the week. Yep, yep. Should be an easy win for the Cats. Is that, do we agree? <laughs> Yeah, I, look, if it was at a GMHBA, I, I'd have little <laughs> confidence, but uh, we'll see. Up, up at Metricon, um, 
Yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll, get it we'll get it done. We'll get it done. All right, guys, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And I'll leave you today with a shout-out to Roger Hayden.